fond of that afternoon and I apologize. I, I didn't lift my head today uh, to meet your gaze after that dance routine. I said to the guys, I said, okay, uh, who can dance? They all took a step back. Who would like to lead the dance? And another step back. Um, so uh, I've now added a dance choreographer to my uh, church resume. Uh, we won't be selling tickets. Um, okay, we're going to jump straight into the word. Let's pray. Lord God, let us meet you in your word. Lord, we ask for a divine encounter through the logos, through the word of Christ. Be with us, O oh God. Touch us, we pray. Open our hearts, open our minds to receive. Bring us from glory to glory this day in your precious name. Amen. Amen. If you have a Bible uh, and you want to go through that, please do. Looking at uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verse 23, uh, sorry, verse 12 to 35. It's a well-known story uh, on the road to Emmaus. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days. What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, abide with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. 
There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Amen. So we're told here of uh, two of Christ's disciples. One is named Cleopas, the other one isn't named in Scripture. And they just left Jerusalem three days after Jesus' death on the way home to Emmaus, distance of maybe a little over 10 kilometers. It appears that these two disciples had heard that Jesus' tomb was empty. They heard the tales of the women, that he wasn't there, that an angel had appeared. And yet, even so, even so, they were going home to Jerusalem, leaving the teacher, the prophet, the rabbi, the miracle worker, and possibly the Messiah, leaving behind all the signs, the miracles, the wonders that he had done in their presence, all of the talk and the claims that Christ had made. He had been crucified and buried, and it seems their hopes and dreams were buried with him too. And so we find them talking about Jesus, and yet their souls were downcast. Then they're met with what they believe to be a stranger. Was it their unbelief that caused them not to recognize Jesus? Who knows? But it's clear from Scripture that where two or three are gathered in his name, Christ is in the midst. And Christ was in the midst of these two fellows on their way home. Perhaps Christ hid his identity, that they might learn to hear his voice. The time was coming very soon, of course, where he would go back to heaven to be with the Father, and he would send another in his place, the Holy Spirit. Jesus asked them, why are you so sad? Isn't it comforting to note that Jesus is ever concerned for us? He weeps when we weep. He rejoices when we rejoice. Cleopas in verse 18 asks, Are you the only one? Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who has not heard of the things that were happening in these days? What a thing to ask Jesus. That would be pretty embarrassing, wouldn't it? He was astonished that here was someone who seemed to know nothing about the life and the death of Christ. Sadly, today, it's astonishing to find that very few do. Romans 10, 14 to 15 says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. It was, it was momentous. Changing uh, B.C. to A.D., overcoming the curse of death, rising again to newness of life as a guarantee for those who believe that we too shall rise from the dead and live eternally with him. It is the best news that has ever been declared in the whole of humanity and ever shall be. And Cleopas says, haven't you heard? It's said today by Christian News that one third of everyone living on the planet today knows little or nothing about Jesus. 
and have little or no hope of hearing about him. The harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. We pray, Lord, send more workers. In a world where it seems there's only bad news of floods, bushfires, famines, earthquakes, coronavirus, masks, mandates, lockdowns, war in Europe, threat of war in Taiwan, there's a lot of bad news around. But there's good news that Christ defeated death. We must, if we believe in him, keep preaching the good news in this dark world. In verse 19, Jesus asks, what things, what things are you talking about? He seems to make light of them. He was cruelly whipped by a cat of nine tails. He was hung upon a cross naked. And the worst of all, as darkness covered the land, he became sin for us. And his father looked away and he cried out, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? The indivisible God now somehow divided. The sinless becoming sin. The judge becomes the judged. I was um, saved in the Baptist church. Big shout out for ex-Baptists here. Woo! Oh, there's a few of us. Praise God. <laughs> Isn't it great to be a Pentecostal though? Amen. When I was a Baptist, uh, I was in the Baptist church for a couple of years. Something dramatic happened. But I guess, uh, you know, okay, I'm Scottish. You've probably worked that out. And though I've come to a saving faith and belief in Jesus, I still, still kind of struggled with the whole money thing, you know. Just not sure when people were preaching on tithing. Was that, did that not cease with the apostles like those other things? Did God really want a tenth of all that I earned? I mean, there's not much left when you're married, is there? Let's be honest. <laughs> anyway, like the honest truth is I struggled with tithing. I gave to the Lord, of course, but 10%, it, it seemed quite a lot. And then something happened to me. I was at my, uh, my brother's house. Uh, he was born again. And uh, he said, ah, have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? I said, the what? The don't think so. Oh, we're Baptists. I don't think we believe in that. Pretty sure that's not in our doctrine of faith. And I said, oh, yeah. Well, we could pray for you. You might receive the gift of tongues. That's the gift of tongues. I haven't read about it, but... Anyway, so um, uh, my wife says, no, don't pray for me. But I was quite keen. I thought, oh, yeah, I've heard tongues. I'd quite like you to pray for me. Anyway, my brother prayed for me, and uh, uh, my sister-in-law prayed for Joe. Well, two minutes later, she's speaking in tongues. And it was so astonishing uh, that I actually got up and went over to her and looked inside her mouth to see these words coming out. It was a miracle. It was a wonder. Tongues is a sign for the unbeliever, and it was, a, it was a sign for me that day. And so with renewed vigor, I went to my brother and said, keep praying, keep praying, keep praying. And he prayed and he prayed and he prayed, and he was getting tired. I said, don't give up. Keep praying, keep praying. And uh, after maybe half an hour of praying, uh, I suddenly just said, Lord, okay, you know, tongues is a gift. And there's lots of other gifts. And Paul says it's the least of the gifts. I said, oh, you've given my wife the least. I can only assume you have better things for me. It's natural to assume that, I think. And so I just started praying, Lord, I love you. 
And I don't care too much about the gifts because you are the gift. So I just love you. I love you. And, and with that, I fell on my face as dead. Uh, Melva talked about the revelation of, jo- of John uh, who was as one who was dead on the Lord's Day. And I had this revelation, this vision. Although I was still in my brother's house, lying on a heap on the floor, making a mess of his carpet with snot and tears. Um, At one and the same time, I was now hanging on the cross and looking out through Jesus' eyes 2,000 years ago at a small, jeering, jostling crowd who were crying out, crucify him, crucify him. He was Jesus coming to seek and to save that which was lost, to give his life for these people, and they didn't want to know. And I, and I got up onto my knees at one stage uh, to check my hands and feet. Um, I, I genuinely thought I would have, like, stigmata. <laughs> um, but the, I realized the pain wasn't there. But I was in intense pain, like, like I've never experienced before. And it was a pain in here, and I realized it was the pain of rejection, that Christ was giving his life as a ransom for many. And they didn't want to know. I just wept and wept and wept in those moments. And I remember crying out. My wife will testify. She's from Yorkshire. They're, they're even tighter than the Scots. So I, I, I cried, Lord, a tithe, a tenth, is that all you require from me? Lord, I owe you everything. I must give you everything. That whole tithe thing was broken in a moment because I'd had a divine encounter with the risen Christ. As we read in Hebrews 12, verse 2, it says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. After the horrors of the crucifixion that Jesus went through, he turns to these two disciples and says, What things? What things? Such is the love of God for you and for me. We are the joy that held him to the cross. For the joy set before him, that's us. He endured the cross. Cleopas and his fellow companion tell the stranger all the things which happened in Jerusalem concerning the Christ. Saying that it's the third day since his death and the tomb was found empty. In verse 25, he says to them, How foolish you are and slow to believe. All the prophets have spoken. And then he expounded the scriptures to him. Told them about the prophets testifying that there would come a Messiah to take away the sins of the world, to redeem mankind. Christ had told his followers that he would rise again on the third day. And yet they hadn't believed him. Why was the tomb empty? Why didn't they believe the women? Why did they leave Jerusalem? Surely they would have gone and looked, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you want to be sure? And so they meet this stranger, spirits downcast. But Jesus, in his wonderful grace, meets them on the road, although not revealing his identity to them at that stage. He's surely the sheep, sorry, the shepherd that goes after the lost sheep. And here were two guys who may well be wandering away from the presence of God. They'd set their hope on Christ as the Messiah, but now he is dead and buried, perhaps with their hopes and their dreams too. Who knows 
if Jesus had not gone after them, whether they would have backslidden away. But Jesus says, John 6, 37, all those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. And so he lovingly rebukes them, teaches them and woos them back to himself. The disciples had seen the cross as a defeat, and now Christ reveals a victory. It was the only means of salvation. It is the only means by which man can be saved. As with uh, Cindy and Lu uh, uh, Lenore, uh, Lorena uh, on th Thursday, and uh, I was speaking to a Muslim uh, on the street, and he's talking about Muhammad. And, um, and I said to this fellow, I says, have you ever been to his grave? No, I haven't. I said, well, if you went there and kept digging, you'd find his bones. I believe in the Lord Jesus. He's the only one who ever rose from the dead. I spoke to him about eternity. If you're going to put your trust in the resurrection and in eternal life, wouldn't you want to put your trust in someone who rose from the dead and guarantees our resurrection? Jesus is the only one who was ever born into the world to die. The prophet Isaiah foretold it in 53.5 of his book. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. So Jesus preaches to these disciples. He doesn't reveal himself physically, but he reveals himself in the scriptures. And so what is the effect on these two disciples? Well, they were greatly moved in their hearts. So much that when they reached their destination and Jesus acted to go further on, they entreated him, urged him strongly, come abide with us, for it is towards evening. Come abide with us. God is not one who forces himself upon us. We know that from Revelation 3.20. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and they with me. The scriptures say, taste and see that the Lord is good. And once we've tasted, oh, we, we desire so much more. They delighted in his company during the day and now they entreat him as night falls to come and stay with them. The passage of scripture was turned into a, a wonderful hymn by Pastor Henry Light in 1847. He was a, a minister uh, in England for about 24 years and uh, he was dying of tuberculosis. He just conducted his very last um, communion service and he was walking by the sea. Uh, as the sun was setting on the day so too it was setting on his life. And he penned these words. Abide. Don't ask me to sing it. <laughs> I can barely read it. Abide with me. Bless you. Let me just say something, <clears throat> interject here, until I get myself back in order. It's wonderful to see you in church, Gary. This man uh, called me from his hospital bed uh, in, a, in a terrible condition um, just over a week ago. And I said I was a bit nervous. I'm going to preach in church. 
And uh, he says to me, Kenny, don't be. Just, just, just preach to one. That's what you did, didn't you? Your, your life on the radio. Just preach to the one. And uh, in his condition, he sought out in love and compassion to touch and to bring encouragement. It's wonderful to see you here. The Lord bless you. Bless you. Abide with me. Fast falls the eventide. The darkness deepens. Lord, with me abide. When other helpers fail and comforts flee, help of the helpless, oh, abide with me. I have, uh, I fear no foe with thee at hand to bless. Ills have no weight and tears no bitterness. Where is death's sting? Where grave thy victory? I triumph still if thou abide with me. As Pastor Henry's strength failed that day, he whispers these words, peace, joy, and points to heaven and then dies and is transported from one world into another. As we read of these two disciples uh, who plead with this stranger to stay with them, he goes in, sits at the table, he takes bread and he breaks it and gives it to them. Then their eyes are opened. Lord, would you do that in our nation today? Unstop the deaf ears who cannot hear the gospel, who are listening to the lies of the enemy. Open their eyes to see the risen Christ, the only hope for their salvation. They recognize the Christ. He reveals himself in the breaking of the bread. In verse 32, we hear them saying, were not our hearts burning within us? Let's not be like the Ephesian church who had lost their first love or the Laodicean one who had become cool and lukewarm towards the Lord. But maybe be people who declare, let our hearts burn within us. When Christ talks with us and walks with us, opens the scriptures to us. They had an encounter with a stranger, with the risen Christ. It affected their hearts. It moved them to implore him to come and reside with them. Their desire to know him more led to a life-changing encounter with him. God will not uh, have us desire him for very long before he reveals himself to us. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, if we seek him, we will find him. If we seek him with all our hearts, Last week, if you remember, I spoke uh, a little Greek to you. I think with my accent, it was probably all Greek to you. <laughs> but I mentioned the word uh, metanoia, uh, which means uh, repentance. Uh, and it, the definition really is a change of the mind. A change of the mind. True repentance requires us to change our mind, to replace that carnal mindset with a heavenly mindset, thinking of things above, not on things below. We used to sing an old song in the Baptist uh, church, um, during water baptisms, you probably well know it, um, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. It's a decision of the mind. But Christianity is not just a cerebral thing. Certainly we can be persuaded by the evidence, by the truth of Scripture. But if we are to persuade people about the love of God, it has also to affect the heart. We're talking about love. 
these two disciples had walked with this stranger, spoken about the scriptures concerning him. But afterwards, they didn't testify, oh, my knowledge has increased about the things of God. I have been persuaded to think higher things. They actually said, were not our hearts burning within us? Well, he talked with us on the road. The lovely uh, lyrics of an old song. <clears throat> I hope you don't think I, I like country and western or anything if I, if I share this. But uh, the, <clears throat> the, the, the old uh, uh, chorus goes, and he walks with me and he talks with me. I wish I could sing it for you. The Lord has not gifted me with either dancing or singing. Uh, but that probably means that I'll be, uh, you know, the, the last shall be first. So if you look towards me in heaven and you say, who's that leading the worship? He walks with me, he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own. <laughs> and the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. There are many who have a heard knowledge of God. They know about him, but they've stopped short of opening up their hearts to him. When God created Adam and Eve in the garden, uh, the scripture said that God walked with them in the cool of the day. God in his creation wants to be close to us. He delights, desires, communion with us, closeness with us. Almost beyond imagination when Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit said, yeah, holding hands with you and walking ain't quite enough. And he came and he lived within us. Our body is now the temple of the Holy Spirit. God can't get closer and dwells uh, within those who believe. Taking up residence in our hearts, abiding in us. Encounters with God, I found, um, are so seldom half-hearted. In Mark's uh, gospel, we read the story of the blind man Bartimaeus in Mark 10, uh, 46 to 52. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many church members, no, it doesn't say that, does it? No. Uh, many, many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped. A cry of the heart stops the Lord in his tracks and causes him to look upon you. Jesus stopped and said to him, call him. So they called to the blind man, saying, cheer up. They were rebuking him a moment ago, but now the eyes of the Lord are upon him. Cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Now, the one thing probably he had in his whole world, he throws away. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked the blind man. Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. We see this crowd rebuking Bartimaeus told them to be quiet. We're living in a world that's rebuking Christians, 
rebuking the church, telling us to be quiet. We're being canceled in social media, rebuked for being bigots. Not even sure I know what that means. We're in fear of losing our jobs. We know in the press of some who have. But Bartimaeus refused to be silenced. He shouted all the louder. He needed an encounter with Christ. And he received his miracle. He refused to listen to the unbelieving voices around him. He didn't care what people thought about him. He was desperate for a touch from God. It's oftentimes when we press in at a personal cost that we have a divine encounter. Remember, Jacob wrestled with the angel in Genesis uh, chapter 32, saying, I won't let you go until you bless me. He pressed through. He had his encounter. Another story, if you remember, in in Luke um, chapter 8, the woman with the issue of the blood pressing through the crowd, a woman who was ostracized from the community for 12 years, essentially one who is unclean, unable to go to the temple, unable to be in the presence uh, of God. She didn't let the crowd prevent her, but pressed through and took a hold of his cloak. Pressing through their ridicule, their scorn, their offense, and saying, if I can only touch the hem of his garment. She was willing to press in. She was willing to stand up from the crowd. She was willing to be rejected because she had to have an encounter with God. And so we see Cleopas and the other disciple pleading uh, with this stranger to abide with them. And they're richly rewarded with this revelatory encounter with the risen Christ. Their eyes were opened and they knew him. Jesus is the bread of life. He revealed himself in communion by the breaking of the bread. God died on the cross through his son Jesus to do just that for us, to bring us into communion with him. We see the change and transformation in these two who had left and gone home. Now, with a revelation of the risen Christ, even though it was now dark, they got up, and went straight back immediately to Jerusalem. It wasn't safe to do that, but they were no longer slaves to fear. The Lord had risen, and so they returned to Jerusalem to declare that the Lord is risen indeed. See what a difference an encounter with God makes in our hearts. The Lord wants to pr- uh, encourage you, I believe, today to press in for an encounter with him. Stop listening to the voices around you, those who ridicule you, those who may scorn you. It's oftentimes when we go the second mile that we meet with Christ. It's in the pressing in, it's in the abiding that our lives are changed. Perhaps the uh, musicians will be kind enough to uh, to come back up. In John 15, uh, verse uh, 47, we hear that the, the Lord says, Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot be a fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you. Unless you abide in me, then you will bear little fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown in the fire and burned. 
But if you abide in me, then my words abide in you. Ask what you wish. It will be done for you. So indeed, we can only truly speculate as to what would have happened to these two guys if Jesus hadn't met them on the way. Perhaps they would have, like I mentioned last week, been in the group of people who returned home. Remember I said there were three groups of people. There were those who stayed home and didn't want to meet with the Lord. There were those who had met with him, but their lives in the world were too alluring for them, and they returned home. Perhaps these two would have been in that group, those who returned home. Let me ask you, how often have you contemplated the things of God? You've wondered at the cross of Christ, but you've stopped short of asking him to come and abide with you, to live in your heart. If you're a believer, how often have you stopped short? Turn the wrong one down. There we go. We're back. How often have you stopped short when you've heard the preaching of Christ? Perhaps you need him to come into this area of your heart or another to help you overcome this sin or that one, to strengthen you here or perhaps there. The word of God has come to your very door, but oftentimes we don't allow it to cross the threshold of our heart. And you stop short of giving God your all Miracles happen in the abiding. We're not to stay home. We're not to return home. But we're to make our home in him. And moreover, he wants to make his home in us. We're going to go back into worship. Uh, Why don't we stand together? Just want to encourage you. If you need a divine encounter for whatever reason, then you would press in today. The altar's open. Prayer team are here. The Lord is here by his presence. If you need an encounter with the risen Christ, then come forward now, please, as we worship. The Lord bless you. Thank you.